millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey folks and welcome to Australian UFO Sightings official podcast. I'm your host Anthony Goodall and you're listening to Encounters Down Under. Here we invite guests on the show to tell us about their encounters with aliens and UFOs, where most of our episodes were streamed live from our Facebook page, which gave listeners the opportunity to ask questions to our guests regarding their encounter. If you have had an encounter and would like to be a guest on the show, please get in touch with us. You can send us a message through our Facebook page, Encounters Down Under, or send us an email at AustralianUFOSightingsAtOutlook.com.au. Be sure to join us on Facebook and share with your friends and family to help us grow, and hopefully encourage others to come forward with their encounter. If you're an iTunes listener and a fan of the show, why not give us that five-star rating and review, and you could have your review featured on the podcast. But enough of that, let's get into what you've been waiting for. So kick back, relax with your favourite beverage, and enjoy the show. G'day folks and welcome to another episode of Encounters Down Under. We have Craig who is a UFO researcher as well as a hypnotherapist joining us on the show to talk about his own personal experiences as well as his findings over the years researching the topic and his experiences with regressional therapy on people's memories regarding their abductions. So please welcome to the show, Craig. Welcome <laughs> to the show there, Craig. G'day, how you doing? <laughs> Good mate, thanks for joining the show there mate. It's fantastic having you on mate. Um, You've, um, you've come on the show there to tell us about your experiences there. Um, basically, we'll get you to run through your earliest childhood memory there, basically, and basically go through um, where you are today. So, yeah, mate, I'll let you take over. No worries. Um, yeah, g'day. Uh, my name's Craig Harry, and, uh, yeah, I've been uh, researching uh, UFOs ever since the age of seven, and um, that's branched into different fields, and uh, then finally, yeah, uh, hypnotherapy. But it all began when I was seven. It all began back in the day. Uh, my whole family was driving from Newcastle on Christmas holidays to Coffs Harbour. And it was at night and kids aboard, of course, you know, and we're watching the stars and the trees and everything at night. And my brother noticed at first there was a uh, bright red light looking like an aircraft 
navigational red light. And uh, but it was steady. It wasn't flashing at all, and there were no other lights connected with it. And it was two to three times bigger than the brightest star in the in the night sky. So it was out to our left. The Great Dividing Range was to our left, and the coast was to the right. So we're heading up the coast. And um, we, because we came from a town near an army base that had um, Iroquois helicopters, we knew what a big red navigational flashing light was on the aircraft. But this caught our attention because it wasn't flashing. It was just steady, bright and red. Uh, it wasn't stationary per se. It was keeping pace with us. We could tell that because it was moving against the star pattern, the star field that night. So we had the um, silhouette of the mountains and we had the stars above that and the UFO was uh, above the mountains into the stars, but not directly ahead, probably 45 degree angle. And it just got our curiosity. We were just talking about it and saying what it could be, what it couldn't be, what it um, what it's not behaving like. So curiosity got the better of us and we decided to pull the car over and have a drink out of the uh, esky in the boot. And that's when we noticed as soon as we pulled over that it kept pace with us, it stopped and it was stationary and we went, oh, it's a helicopter. And then it descended down into the bushland in the distance. And we went, oh, of course, it was a helicopter. So we had the drink, it was only about five minutes and we said, all right, we'll get in the car again. So we got in the car and that's when we noticed it was back up to the same altitude and back in its same position again. And we went, all right, we'll test it here. We'll switch the car engine off and we'll hear the sound of the helicopter. So we switched the car engine off and no sound. It was absolutely dead quiet, the bush, not even other insects or birds or anything. Um, so it kind of felt eerie at that stage. <laughs> so we kind of turned the engine on and decided to see how fast the car could do could go because we, we were the only ones out there at that time. So it kept pace with us and for a good other five, ten minutes until we came into a, a small town with um, a service station and plenty of lights and we, we thought we were safe because that was civilization. And as we approached the town, it just seemed to hit hyperspeed and just took off in a flash. And uh, so we got got under the safety of the, the lights of the service station and the attendant thought we looked a bit rattled and shaken up and he was like, um, what's up guys, you know, and we just said, oh, are there any aerodromes or army bases or anything around the area, you know, that would have aircraft? And he went, no, nope, no, nope, none around here. I said, why? I said, oh, you know, because we, uh, we just saw the UFO uh, keeping pace with us and chasing us down the road. And he said, oh, you're about the third people this week that have said that's happened to them. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's been plenty of famous cases around Coffs Harbour. Um, Premier Never Ran actually saw a huge silver uh, ball at, I think it was 30,000 feet uh, over near Coffs Harbour, uh, his pilot told him. And I don't know if his pilot got a photo of it or not, but uh, Neville Wren, uh, the Premier, he did make um, a report to it, to the Australian um, air traffic. Uh, I 
don't know what happened if there was a photo or not. But uh, yeah, quite a few things have happened. I, I suppose a lot of people have got stories about Coffs Harbour, so it seems to be one of those hotspots. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was talking with Bill Chalker there at one stage there. He's um, been up around that area there. Pretty sure it was, um, I can't think of the area now, but it was sort of not far from that area. Yeah. And it yeah. seems to be like a bit of an interesting spot. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we, we were just like, wow, we all saw it, you know, all four of us, and um, stuck with me for life. And then I just had a fascination. I just wanted to understand more. Uh, always been curious about everything, how it works, uh, how to explain things, how they uh, function. So, yeah, I just started uh, buying books on UFOs and started watching anything I could. Yeah, no, so, that's awesome. That's usually yeah. how it is too. Like, um, it always takes something there to go and spark that interest, like a, a sighting, of course. Um, yeah, yeah, For people exactly. to start, like, questioning it and then they start wanting to be a bit more interested in the topic. Otherwise, people sort of, like, sit on the sidelines going, well, yeah, you know, it could be real, it might not be real, but then they're lucky enough to go and actually see something. There's like, okay, yeah, no, that, there's something going on there. Exactly. Uh, seeing is believing. That's so it. It's, it's very hard to convince someone if they haven't been there, if they haven't seen it. Uh, but the good thing about today now is that if someone sees it, they can upload it. It's on YouTube tomorrow, uh, you know, in a second. And um, it's around the world by the next day. So, yeah, we, we can share it a, a hell of a lot more now with uh, the internet. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, so, that's awesome in that aspect. Um, so yeah. just on that, um, sure. I know you're, you're about seven years old and it's been a while now, but like, did you happen to take notes of the time there just in case of any missing time or anything like that? Uh, I did ask everyone afterwards when I was aware of such a thing and uh, everyone said, no, they weren't aware of any missing time and no one reported any of the symptoms of missing time myself or any other family members. Usually uh, with missing time, you have um, a, a confusion about what time it is after the event that your biological clock doesn't quite make sense of what it's seeing and hearing because it doesn't match with the, the time that you're reading. Then you've got um, uh, symptoms afterwards, usually of um, recurring dreams that seem to have a certain theme. Uh, other people having flashbacks or dreams uh, about a scene or something happening, uh, usually negative emotions associated with that. Uh, usually sometimes marks on the body, uh, sometimes uh, nosebleeds associated with it. Um, so there's, there's all sorts of uh, list of symptoms that can occur from an encounter from missing time. Yeah, and, no, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. None of us, uh, none of us, thank goodness, displayed any of those. So it was just a close encounter of the first kind. Yeah, no, that's amazing. That's um, certainly something that um, people should probably look for um, in those kind of signs. And I suppose if they have been questioning their own um, yes. situations where they have missing time, so that's definitely something there that I don't think a lot of people will look into if they have yes. something like that happening. So no, that's yeah, an awesome bit of information. Yeah, yeah. Uh, usually people do have uh, nightmares or, or some sort of flashbacks uh, occurring with it. And uh, that's connected to hypnotic regression too and finding out what happened as well. So it's it's all connected with the 
memory and the subconscious. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that wasn't my only uh, UFO uh, sighting. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. Tell us all about it. Okay. Um, every time I go outside of a night, I'm looking up at the sky. You know, once once you're bitten by the bug. So uh, here it was, 1999, coming up to uh, New Year, and we're on the Gold Coast. And luckily, thank goodness, I'm with 12 other people, and uh, we were at uh, 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 mates. Um, house uh, slash restaurant and uh, it was coming up to 12 and he said all right we'll all go outside and we'll watch the fireworks because on the Gold Coast they set off three different fireworks from different positions and it's quite a show so there was uh, we were kind of situated near uh, Jupiter's Casino at that stage and you had Pack Fair Pacific Fair and um, they had fireworks set up on the beach so we were right in the triangle of fireworks. And uh, so we're, we're out there probably, um, you know, half an hour before they start. So just enjoying the the night and nice clear night. I'm looking up at the stars again and not a lot of people look directly up because it's difficult. But I always look the whole night sky. So I looked up and directly above, as I looked up, I saw what I can only describe as two stars spinning around in uh, unison, like, so the two stars are there, they were forming a complete circle spinning around each other. And I'm looking at it, and all my friends know I'm into UFOs, so I'm like, all right, Craig, you got to study this, and in like, five seconds, you've got to work out every possible explanation for this, because if you sound off and it's a normal Earth ex explanation, that's it, you know, you're going to be hammered. So within that five seconds, I watched them rotate another five times and I ruled out aircraft, I ruled out skydivers with flares. I, I just ruled everything out. So then I felt safe and enough to say, hey, everyone, look straight up and tell me what you see. So they looked up and they went, holy moly, look at those two stars spinning around each other. So they kept circling for another three rotations and then one stopped. So they spun around, one stopped, and this one seemed to take off in height again because it came about half the size as this one. And when it got about half as bright, it found a, a pair and they started doing this semicircular spinning and they did it for about 10 times and then they parted and then they formed a perfect isosceles triangle, I think the word is, yeah. <laughs> and one bright, two half as bright. And just as they stopped, because we were watching this dance up in the sky and just as they stopped, the fireworks went off. It was exactly 12 midnight. And we were all like, can you believe that? And we weren't even watching the fireworks. We were still watching these three objects. Once they stopped moving, they blended into the star pattern. They were the same colour intensity as all the other stars. And once they stopped moving, you found it very hard to pick them out again because they weren't different to... You couldn't distinguish them from the other stars. 
So I sat out there for a good hour watching them and they stayed exactly in position. But not only that, they were moving with the star field. So it wasn't like they were out of place as the uh, nighttime sky rotates. They were going with the nighttime sky. So they were definitely here to have a good look at how us uh, angry monkeys celebrate our millennia. <laughs> That's absolutely incredible. I've um, I've only had one similar story there on the podcast there where the the two lights have rotated, um, but they only did like one full rotation and then the other one sort of split off. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the fact that like they were rotating the one there and then went to find another craft yeah. or object and then yeah. start dancing around as well that's that's incredible like what do you think the whole idea behind that was there's uh, a lot of reports that um ufos and objects they'll seem to oscillate they'll seem to rotate they'll seem to spin around uh and from a scientific point of view any sort of measuring equipment any sort of um uh sensory information um equipment in the military they will do the same thing. They'll orientate it by spinning it around to get all the sensors working, to get the field of access working, and um, that gives you all the information then. Because if you set it up and it's not working correctly, it's going to give you false information. So by uh, doing that, I feel their um, surveillance equipment is getting orientated somehow uh, to cover everything. Um, you're talking about super high tech. So probably just by those movements, it's getting in sync with all of its uh, electronics, uh, whatever they're monitoring. But it seems like we say they're dancing around or they're floating around and everything. There's a purpose to this sort of uh, high tech manoeuvres. And even with... Um, uh, the UFOs caught on uh, Fleur now. They'll do similar actions. So it seems to be um, to help to to synchronise everything together to to start recording. That that's just my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, look, that's definitely interesting. It, it sort of does make a bit of sense when you think of it that sort of way. Yeah. Um, but you would think, like being such high technology, they wouldn't really need to be doing that sort of thing to try and sync up or you think they'd be well ahead for ordering oh, sensors and that i would think anyway yeah. yeah there's there's all different modes there's all different ways i mean um you these are just some of the ufo descriptions of how they maneuver in other instances they're super fast in other instances they're hovering stationary for a long time um in other instances they're playing cat and mouse and coming back and forth so there's, there's no one set uh, description of how a UFO can move or how it's supposed to behave, no. Yeah, no, it's certainly interesting and it certainly raises a lot of questions in itself. Like, um, you know, people are reporting of crafts doing, or stars, you know, some sort of object at least doing like the zigzag manoeuvre. And it's like, what yeah. the hell is the zigzag? Like, what is with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what purpose can that serve? Yeah, yeah I can't think of it anyway. It's like you're trying to dodge yeah. a sniper or something like that. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's the only thing I can yeah. think of. But um, other people think that um, they're trying to get the attention of people or something like, you know. Um, I don't know. It, yeah, I can't really figure it out myself. 
yeah, I mean, it, it comes back to the, the same thing of, um, you know, a thousand years ago, someone saw one of our military today, how they would describe it and how they would say it was so strange the way it was moving. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point too. Um, yeah. It certainly does. Um, it, yeah, like I said, it opens a lot of questions there and um, I guess we'll yeah. never really know the answer on that side of things until maybe um, out of our lifetimes maybe. But That's for sure. No, I, I searched um, the, all the news and uh, the bulletin here and everything to see if anyone else described uh, witnessing uh, those UFOs that night and uh, there, was no, there was no report anywhere. So um, not everyone's looking directly up. Not everyone catches these things. And this is over a, a major city in Australia, you know, when everyone was outside looking at the night sky. So they, they can be around and not a lot of people can witness it or they don't report it. Yeah. That's the other thing too. A lot of people are scared to sort of report their sightings there just because yeah. of purely the whole stigma attached yeah. to it and the ridicule that comes with it as well and yeah it's a yeah. shame really but uh being now that the you know the us is sort of opening up about their side of things there it's sort of uh seeing the pathway for people to become a bit more comfortable in a sense i suppose and people yeah. being a bit more open about their experiences which is good it is it is it's a big watershed moment because there has been a lot of stigma attached to it and uh that's that's been by design of course uh, that uh, cultural influence uh, started back in the 50s, but it was very successful. Uh, you just laugh at the subject and ridicule people and they won't share and they won't talk about it. Uh, but in saying that on the Gold Coast, uh, 1993, the Bulletin did run an article on uh, a UFO that was spotted here. And it was at night and a gentleman uh, recorded it. Uh, and that was on the news and the next day, they had over 100 people uh, ring up the bulletin and say they had seen the object too. Uh, sorry, they were ringing uh, CFM radio station here uh, to say they'd all seen it, uh, seen the same object and the way it travelled uh, probably 30 kilometres in about uh, five seconds. Uh, so it travelled from the coast, being near Southport, all the way across to probably Narang or uh, Mount Tambourine in that time of just five seconds and then became stationary again. So uh, th th they have been recorded and uh, they have been reported and um, people have come forward. But again, there was still that, oh, people are going to call you crazy if you talk about it. Uh, and this is the good thing now. Finally, disclosure is slowly happening. The government is saying, oh, what do you know? We do have some videos and what do you know? Our pilots have seen something. Now they have permission to share and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the best part about it too. Like, you know, a bit of a soft disclosure. Like, it's nothing hard, no, like no hard evidence, which is unfortunate. Like, yeah. For Not me, yet. Um, the videos that they did share with the Tic Tac UFO and the Nimitz and that, yeah. to me, that wasn't overly impressive. Um, it didn't really uh, prove or explain a lot to what's, like yeah. the only thing you could really go by is the, the pilot's recollection of what happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the footage shows nothing of what they've just explained, and and yeah. that's that's the problem where um, it's gives a lot of it's still, uh, it still it still encourages a bit of um, uh, no I'm not discredit I just had the word there I've lost it myself now <laughs> but you know it yeah. it doesn't yeah. help their situation in trying to say that these things are actually out there yeah if that makes sense. Um, 
To it's, me, I felt like they need to go and really give us something that's real hard, you know, undeniable evidence to go and say, yeah, look, we know they're out there, but this yeah. is what we have so far. Like, at least yeah. something. They, uh, in this case, yes, when, when I first saw it on the news, I was ecstatic. I was elated. I was like, wow, this is fantastic. And other people were saying, oh, it doesn't show much. Oh, it's a blob. It's grainy. It's this and that. And, yes, I've seen better videos on YouTube from other witnesses and everything but this is when you measure it by this is official video from the US government. This is like huge. This is like such a, a moment in history that they're actually coming forward with their own evidence. And they're allowing the pilots to talk about what they've seen, highly trained professionals. So it definitely has the green light from the Pentagon to do this, otherwise we wouldn't wouldn't have seen it, wouldn't have heard about it. This is a watershed moment, yes. Are there better videos? Hell yeah. Are there better videos to come? Absolutely. But at the moment, they're just turning that temperature up slowly. They don't want to go from zero to boil in five seconds. And that's why we're not seeing what happened with the Roswell wreckage. That's going to come further, further down the track, if at all. But they've definitely got uh, more video. I'm looking forward to probably early this morning. They will have the first uh, US Congress uh, public hearings on UFOs, uh, where the House is going to hear from uh, the um, intelligence uh, director from the Navy. And um, don't know if it's the uh, director of national intelligence or the DIA, probably Pentagon. Uh, they're going to be answering questions from the House panel. And again, don't hold your breath for the biggest disclosure ever. They're slowly, slowly turning the temperature up. They're slowly getting the public interested without the laughing factor or the fear factor. And this is what they're doing. They're starting off with very dull, very boring images, very benign sort of reporting, but it's slowly getting more and more. And at the moment, the world hasn't ended. People aren't screaming out in the streets, you know, that the sky's falling. So they're going, wow, okay, all right. We can kind of turn up the volume here a little bit more. Yeah, so, which is understandable. Yeah, um, like yeah. you look at... Um back in the, was it the 1920s or 1930s when they did the War of the Worlds oh, radio yes. episode? Watson Wells, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a mass panic there. Um, you know, it's yep. a perfect example. So it's totally understandable that like, they're bringing the, uh, the yeah. like a bit of a soft disclosure. Yes. But um, for me, like I was, I was sort of more, like I, under, I understood the whole reason behind it, but it's just for me, I was hoping for something that was just something that can't be discredited. Yeah, um, yeah. Just well, so like it just have like you know just something <laughs> something decent to go look oh, that's yeah, what we've captured yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> uh, Jeremy Corbell, uh, it doesn't get enough airplay, but he released the videos that he was given about the USS uh, Russell uh, and this UFO uh, encounter the fleet had uh, in 2019 with those uh, night vision uh, pyramid uh, UFOs. Then you have the FLIR video of that round object uh, that is tracked on FLIR and then it goes into the water. And then they have um, 
uh, standard video of lights around the ships. And uh, I guess people don't understand the gravity of those three different informations. Oh, plus video of the radar tracks in the CIC command center. You put all that together, and this is all coming from the Navy and the Pentagon. They're showing their inside workings on a UFO incident that happened, what, just three years ago. And this is the state-of-the-art equipment that these UFOs were uh, buzzing the ships, doing whatever they wanted around these ships. They've got radar, so it's not just a camera flare. They've got night vision. They've got FLIR. All of these things correlating together, that's a wealth of information on these were solid physical objects and they were uh, under their own power. They could manoeuvre and it did, just didn't happen for minutes. It happened for hours and here they are 100 kilometres off the coast and other vessels were reporting that they were seeing them as well. People don't understand that when you go anywhere near a military vessel, they have the right to defend themselves and they will go on um, high alert and they will shoot if you come within their restricted airspace. And the Navy, they couldn't track these things properly. They couldn't identify what they were. Um, they, they were dumbfounded too because they could uh, float in, uh, fly in, um, penetrate their military airspace around their uh, restricted uh, high-tech equipment and they recorded them on all their sensors and you know today people can go oh yeah that was just drones you know they were just drones well unless you've got an aircraft carrier out there to, to handle 30 drones the Navy would have searched high and low to see who owned these things and where they were coming from so unless you had a submarine to launch these drones what was the purpose and it, uh, it, it still doesn't, um, uh, that, that's one of the better cases that have come up. And uh, unfortunately, the other black and white grainy uh, tic-tac uh, gets the majority of play. It does, yeah. Um, and that's the, yeah, like you're saying, a lot of people don't understand like just how much detail is going behind them. And regardless of the little bit of footage that we do have, yeah. Um, I suppose just the, the logs and the reports of what's been going on is where the actual credibility is really yeah, to what's yeah. been going on. And it's, it is a, it's a big milestone. When, and the funny thing is too, like um, it has been mentioned before, I think in a few other like um, information briefs or in other podcasts and that is it's only the Navy that seems to be interested in reporting their sightings. Yes. Yes. And like you say, uh, if you're onto the subject, if you realize the subject, the public congressional hearings that are going to happen tomorrow, that's the first time in 50 years that they've talked about UFOs in Congress. So it's been a damn good program of ridiculing people not to take this subject seriously ever since uh, Project Blue Book that ended in uh, 1969. Now, back then they couldn't explain what was happening and they decided just to write it off and say, you know, it's not a threat to national security, everything's fine, nothing to see here, folks. And that was the Air Force. And they were saying, and a subject, uh, Dr. Alan Hynek, who uh, ran Project Blue Book, he then came forward later in the 70s on TV and said the whole 
Project Blue Book was designed to ridicule and, um, you know, dissuade people from reporting UFOs and all the good cases weren't used and they were sent directly to the Pentagon. So he came forward to say it was a, it was a whitewash and a, a debunking cover-up. But that was the last time we heard about the UFOs uh, from the US Air Force, who are up to their eyeballs in the subject. They're the main guys handling the UFO information and material. There seems to be something has happened, some ground-shaking event has happened that suddenly the US military that spent the last 70 years covering up this subject is now doing a PR scheme of slow disclosure, but it's without the Air Force. And like you, you, like you picked up, a lot of people notice this is without the US Air Force. Now, they own the subject the most, but it's the Navy reporting their information and evidence and videos. So something's happening here. Either the Pentagon is having a disagreement with the US Air Force who's controlling the majority of the information, so they're deciding to maybe disclose it through the Navy and their evidence to put pressure on the Air Force, or it's all orchestrated and they want the Navy to look like the good guys spilling the beans on their other brother in the Pentagon, the Air Force, and to publicly make it look like, well, we're putting pressure on the Air Force, you've got to come forward eventually. And then when the Air Force does, they didn't volunteer it. They were pressured into giving that information up. So to me, I would I would say the latter. I would say it's, an, it's a well-orchestrated opera and all the characters are in place. Uh, but somehow the United States deep government is thinking we have to get people accepting the reality that UFOs are real because something might happen in the future where maybe they have to bring the public into the the information. It's definitely a soft disclosure. It's definitely got the green light for this because they've done a good job covering it up for 70 years and they haven't worried about how much good evidence is on YouTube. Yeah, sorry, mate. I'm just going to go and disturb you here for a second. If you want to... Um... Continue. I've got bloody kids out the side here doing something they shouldn't be doing. <laughs> bloody kids. So sorry, guys. Um, I'll let you carry on. Um, also, yeah. um, I just want to go and sort of touch on there. Um, a lot of things started coming out there with the To the Stars Academy there with um, yes. Luis Olzondo and um, wow, what's his Tom name? DeLong. Tom DeLong. That's him. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like I'm not. It's sort of hard to tell how much involvement they had in trying to bring out the release if it was really them that sort of broke the chain on that sort of things yeah yeah it um that whole, that whole ttsa to the stars academy uh when you have a good look into it and you see the characters involved in that you can definitely see it's a government uh soft disclosure uh you're looking at chris mellon who was the Secretary to the Defence um, or Assistant Secretary to the Defence. But there were a lot of other high-caliber people in that TTSA uh, committee. Uh, there was one from, um, he was an engineer from uh, the Skunk Works, which handles the SR-71s and the Aurora now. 
there were at least five other um, retired military professionals from the Pentagon that were in that TTSA board. Tom DeLong was the only civilian. He was the only non-Pentagon guy in that whole TTSA. He was the he was the public face to get people going. I know that dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blink one eight two to get them looking at it. Yeah, they couldn't have done it uh, to to get public attention uh, if, if without Tom DeLong. And unfortunately, they dumped him as soon as the job was done. Um, so it was definitely government orchestrated. They looked like they were trying to do a soft disclosure and they wanted to make a commercial venture of back engineering UFO technology. As their website said, they were after investors and they were going to try to get working technology from material seized uh, or, or um, um, found from UFO encounters. The reason the whole group started was because of um, Linda Moulton Howe, because uh, she was in possession and still is in possession of uh, UFO metal debris from Roswell, 1947. She was given that in 1996 uh, by a uh, listener on the Art Bell show. And he's the grandson of a US Army security guard that was he was told to um, to participate and cover up the uh, the crash of the object at Roswell. So he kept some souvenirs and uh, he uh, more or less on his deathbed gave them to his grandson, who was also serving in the military. He didn't know what to do with them, so he surrendered them to um, Linda Howe and uh, he trusted her. She tested them for as long as she could uh, through other universities, and uh, she's got all the documentation of those electron microscope scans and everything. It's very unique material. Meta material is the catchword now. And uh, so basically she was, um, I don't know if TTSA approached her or she approached them. I'm assuming TTSA approached her and they bought one of the samples off her. That's when TTSA really got their act together and started this commercial uh, launch. And that, that launch was on YouTube with Tom DeLong as well. And it's quite embarrassing if you listen to it, the grand plans they had. It was all based on that piece of material that they were going to back engineer and work out how to defy gravity. And they really thought they had a chance with it. And they called it the Atom Project. Uh, to look into um, recovered materials and to commercially develop it. So they were looking to make money outside of the government in the commercial uh, environment. Uh, once TTSA uh, were getting the publicity by releasing the, um, the FLIR videos and uh, getting uh, Commander Fravor and other pilots to come forward and starting then the History Channel um, the UFO investigation. That got a lot of public attention. They were looking at a lot more investment, but something didn't seem to quite work or quite go their way. And yeah, they all walked away from TTSA and just left Tom on his own. The metal sample 
they signed a CRATA, a scientific uh, research paper worth a million dollars, uh, to study the material with the US Army in 2019. So that's public record. That was recorded in Popular Mechanics and uh, the Army Times. That, that didn't quite hit the news a lot. I post that all the time on comments. Uh, so Google that. And the US Army has still got that piece of material, that meta material, and uh, they're still testing it uh, to this day and they haven't disclosed their results as yet. But I think that crater ends maybe next year. So they had it uh, for all that time. Um, be interesting. It's funny that it started with the US Army in 1947 and publicly the US Army is back with it again, or at least a small chunk of it. Um, of course, the US military has the rest of the craft and they're not talking about that, but for the public propaganda, they can say, well, we receive this piece of material from a civilian. And what do you know? This is the first time we're looking at it. What do you know? Wow, we've come up with a way of commercially developing something that can block out the effects of gravity. And that just opens a whole new industry, a whole new way of life if that can be reproduced somehow. And again, guess what? It's It could be the US Army patenting that discovery, as in most of the discoveries from Roswell have been patented in America uh, to benefit the American economy. Um, it just, yeah, that was the angle that I could see. That's just my opinion. But that was the angle that I could see, as well as disclosure. So be very interesting to see what happens from here. Yeah, I have heard um, that we have the technology to redevelop this material, but it costs like thousands, if not millions of dollars to produce this kind of material. Um, like, so to try and commercialize it, it's gonna be proving very difficult. Yeah. On that but, sort of things. Yeah, um, how Puthoff, I think his last name is, it always, it's hard to pronounce. He was the uh, scientist working on it. And uh, he was working in conjunction with um, Linda Howe on it. And uh, they worked out that uh, if you hook it up to enough energy at the higher frequencies, the material uh, then produces an electronic, um, electromagnetic field that will block out gravity waves. And they couldn't get up to the correct higher frequencies for it to kick in. Apparently, it's in the terahertz range of the radio frequency of vibration. So that's why they handed that off to the US Army, because apparently the US Army has the huge generators that can get up to the terahertz range in frequency to hook the metal up to. Uh, so that's that's why Linda Howe agreed because she's, I think they had a word to her and said, look, wouldn't you rather the US government develop this and patent this than another country? And I think she was kind of like, yeah, I know you guys have covered all this up and everything, but yeah, that, that's a valid point. I want my country to be the first with a, a flying aircraft carrier, you know? So... Um, yeah, they're, they're still working on that. But yeah, you're right. It takes a lot of power 
and a lot of energy to make this work. And to a certain extent, we'll always be behind that ball because we don't have the capability of the power uh, plant, the power supply that ET has to make their craft work. So, um, yeah, we're kind of like cavemen trying to work out how an iPhone works. Yeah, especially in the compact version um, of power sources. Uh, that's something that we haven't really right. quite worked out. I think like no. the closest thing we can probably try and get to is like maybe like a thermal nuclear sort of power plant. I think they're like yeah. the same with the subs that are going. I don't know how much yeah. they generate, but I think that's probably like the closest we could probably get to if it comes to yeah. creating a craft like that. But even then, that's yeah. still quite dangerous in its own ways. Yeah, I mean, we, we'd have to have something like a, a huge nuclear reactor built onto a platform and then doesn't matter the mass of it. Once it's working with enough energy, it counteracts mass then, so the thing becomes weightless. But you'd need something the size of an aircraft carrier then to, yeah, to that's true. Thing work. Um, and, and then trying to hide the aircraft carrier in the process yeah. of trying to make this that's craft, right. you know, that's going to be right. quite difficult. So, yeah, it's... Um, like like all things, we start off big and then finally we work out how they work and then we miniaturise things. But uh, to a certain extent, uh, the the little green guys haven't had to worry about us making back engineering successful. Uh, we're, we're still trying to work out how it works in the civilian world, whether the US black budget programs have actually got things working not by earth technology no not not by our own development no so um as bob lazar's described in in his research too they're still scratching their heads you know they've got all the equipment right in front of them and they're still trying to work out how to use it yeah so it makes you think they like they the technologies is hundreds if not maybe a thousand years ahead of us Oh, yes. For us to be able to comprehend when, it, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So, when you talk about reactors that can uh, produce and and contain antimatter annihilation, you're talking about 100% mass to energy conversion in the size of half of the basketball. And yeah. uh, the it can produce the power, you know, the power coming off the whole earth in, in that small reactor. Uh, no wonder the craft have so much energy for force fields and gravity waves and outstanding manoeuvres that they do. So until we come out with a power source like that, uh, we might come up with, like I said, floating trucks, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I'm hoping to see that one day in our life. Oh, yeah, I'd love it too. Yeah. <laughs> be absolutely fantastic. But so, it's, um, it sort of makes you wonder too, like, You're going on like a bit of conspiracies here, like with the governments and that, how they sort of, you know, there's things going in the background that they're aware of. Yeah. Or they, they control sort of things, you know. Yeah. And people have theories there, like, you know, the, the governments are uh, conversing with these beings or, you know, extraterrestrial, whatever, yeah. they, whatever they are. Yeah. They're conversing with them, dealing with them and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It sort of makes me wonder, like, surely at some point there where they would go, look, Here's how you do it. Um, go for gold, or do you think they might be holding back a bit, going, "Hey, look, like just progress a little bit, or see how far we can try and work it out ourselves," kind of thing, without with just giving little, little hints and nudges here and there, maybe. Well, here's the thing: uh, would any parent give a child 
a weapon. I know some people do. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> I know they do. I've seen a, let's say a um, competent parent. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Would they give a child a weapon? The answer is no, because they'd end up hurting themselves or someone else. Yeah. And for ET to think about giving advanced, like you say, a thousand years or more advanced technology um, to to humans on Earth, uh, well, all you have to do is observe us for a short time, and you'd go, man, I'm I'm not even trusting them with my spoon you know come on yeah. uh we, we haven't got a very good track record i mean we're trying we're trying but no uh from an outside look on earth i can see exactly why et doesn't want to give us the whole you know magic um magic technology uh we have to earn the respect of it we have to make our own mistakes and get there now in saying that does the US black government have these technologies and programs? Yes. Um, are they doing a deal with the ETs? Yes. Um, is the public not told? Yes. Uh, every government, every military wants to have the most powerful weapon. End of story. That's their one goal. We want to have the most powerful weapon because we'll be the strongest country. And from strength, you can do whatever. So ever since 1947, that's been their goal. This subject is higher than the H-bomb. It's higher than all their other secrets. Um, they've covered it well. They've used propaganda very well. And we've only managed to have glimpses of what's really going on and in the civilian world uh, we can only rely on when a government whistleblower comes forward or when something's leaked you know uh to find out what's really going on um colonel philip corso uh he gave us some terrific information because he was part of the the pentagon program and he was uh, fortunate enough to see the wreckage and the alien bodies from Roswell 1947. He's on the record saying he saw it. Now, he was part of the White House Security Council and he worked at the Pentagon R&D project. So you, you can't discredit a, a professional military uh, person like him. And uh, he said, yeah, he said they, they were trying to back engineer everything they could out of it to make America stronger than the rest. I mean, yeah. And um, he was just like, you know, uh, on his later years, he was like, well, let's just tell the public that it exists. Just tell them, get used to it. You know, yeah, there, there is life out there in the world and it's found us. And yeah, we, we accidentally shot one down. That's what happened at Roswell. They hit it with a uh, high-energy Doppler radar. And like you were saying, uh, the only thing we have is a nuclear reactor for our strongest um, power source. And apparently um, at White Sands Missile Range there, where they were testing the captured uh, V1 and V2 rockets, uh, that's what they were using, a high-energy Doppler radar to uh, track the, uh, the missile flight paths. And uh, it was at the same spot in 1945 where the trinity first atomic bomb went off at white sands missile range 
and it's not far away from where Roswell, uh, the, the crash happened in 1947. So by dumb luck, we managed to shoot one down that didn't have its shields up at the time. Yeah, they probably, um, probably went in a little bit relaxed and... Um, yeah, 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 they were just coasting just along with the windows down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were going, yeah, they split the atom, but That's they've only just done it. Yeah, they're not very good at it. And next thing they were hit by all this high-energy electronic, um, yeah, electromagnetic surprise. field. <laughs> surprise, yeah, yeah. Now... Yeah. It's, it's yeah. interesting. I've got a question here um, someone's asked, sure. like... Um, I, I suppose we better talk about regression sooner or later. <laughs> yeah, I will definitely get there at some point because that's definitely but, something I want to yeah, touch on. Yeah, but, um, paint the picture. Someone's asking the question, like, what you know about the deal was allegedly made by President Eisenhower. Yes. Do you know much about that? Yes, definitely. Uh, yes, he uh, he was supposed to go for a holiday uh, out to LA or um, I don't know if it was LA or uh, Las Vegas but he was supposed to have a weekend of golf. And uh, then he reportedly was sick with the with the flu for a day or something. He was missing for like 24 hours. And um, so supposedly he flew out to um, Holloman's Air Force Base, which is White Sands Missile Range. And you'll know this missile range because it features in Transformers. It's in the movie, and it's the only movie that's ever got permission to film at White Sands Missile Range. So when those Transformers are attacking and they're on those lovely white sands in the desert and everything's blowing up and Optimus Prime's cutting them all down, that's White Sands Missile Range because they also had permission to use all the US Air Force resources to film in that movie as well. That's why you see the A-10s, the B-2s, the B-1s, everything coming in, everything, promoting the US military, fighting alongside aliens to defeat mean aliens. That's pretty just cool. A bit, just a bit of food for thought. <laughs> so yeah, um, President Eisenhower went out there and there was a meeting and it was uh, a few people have uh, come forward to say that they did see it. They uh, said he uh, met with them, he spoke with them. There was some sort of deal arranged. I think I think it might have been 1952. No, it might have been later. It was after 1952, but before 1962. It's, it's in there. People will tell me. But, yes, um, now here's an interesting thing. There's a documentary... Uh, narrated by Leonard Nimoy called UFOs Past and Present, I think the name of it is. And uh, the guys that produced that, they were shown, they were given uh, video, um, movie um, footage of a spacecraft landing at Holloman Air Force Base and strange aliens hopping out and meeting US Air Force personnel. And... Uh, He's narrating this, Leonard Nimoy, in, in this documentary. The The filmmakers were, were given the video, well, they were allowed to watch it in the vault at the Air Force Base, and they said they wanted to make a documentary to release UFO disclosure. So 
they had a look at it and they were like, yeah, wow, you know, we can put this into our documentary. At that time, they thought about disclosure, but at the last minute, they pulled the whole project. And um, all they were left with was speculation about what they saw. So they just wove it into the documentary. The interesting thing about that documentary is there is about five seconds of the actual movie that was shot when this UFO landed at Holloman Air Force Base. And if you watch the documentary, you'll see a bright uh, UFO slowly coming down, oscillating like a leaf falling behind, uh, in front of a mountain range. And it's coming down, it's only five seconds worth. The producers said, uh, when they were given all the film and everything to, to have a look, I don't know if he managed to copy it or he managed to find a piece of that just on its own, but they didn't request it back with all their other material. And he tried to hand it back because he didn't want to go to jail for, you know, um, stealing national security information. And they would deny it existed afterwards. So he thought, great, I'll use it in the uh, documentary. They've matched up the mountains in the background to exactly the Holloman Base mountain range. Okay. So that bit of footage correlates to a real UFO landing at Holloman Air Force Base. So there's something to to check out. Um, so yeah, yeah, and and Eisenhower uh, was part of that program, and then he saw just how the military-industrial complex was in charge of this information and controlling it. And again, they were just developing as much power as they could without sharing it with the rest of the United States government assets. And in his farewell speech, that's when he warned the world of the power of the military-industrial complex could even threaten democracy itself. And that is in President Eisenhower's farewell speech, which anyone can see on YouTube. So when you kind of join the dots together, it paints a picture. Yeah, it does. I think I remember yeah. hearing something about um, two, uh, a friend of Eisenhower's that came along with him actually built a house somewhere not far from... Yeah, yeah. In the yeah. same shape as what the crafts are supposed to represent. Yeah. And um, I can't think exactly where it is, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm trying to think of his name. Is uh, the comedian, Jackie. Oh, yeah, that's him. Um, Jackie out of the honeymooners and oh. I can't even think of it, but yeah, 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 <laughs> it's quite he's, a funny story. Jackie Lease, Jackie, no, ah, really... he's in Smokey and the Bandit as the sheriff too. Uh, yeah, apparently uh, he was good friends with President Nixon, and um, President Nixon uh, at that stage presidents were still written into they could see the project. And um, President Nixon invited him out to Area 51, which is only a short drive from uh, Las Vegas. And, um, yeah, apparently uh, Jackie uh, built a house that looked like a UFO in L.A. And he told friends that he saw the wreckage and he saw the bodies. Yeah. So that's, that's uh, one hell of a, a story. After that... Um, I think it was after Nixon that they were denied access to the project, that they, um, the um, 
dark government, the military industrial complex just kind of, you know, closed all the doors to uh, civilians and just kept it within themselves. Yeah. But Ronald Reagan, I think, did get um, a look in because that's why he gave his speech at the UN about um, if aliens came down uh, to Earth, how quickly all our differences would disappear and we'd all class ourselves as human. And, you know, if we were faced with a threat from outside the Earth, how we'd all join together and uh, become one. Um, so, yeah, everyone thought he was a bit bonkers when he said that. But uh, being a, a staunch Republican, I think uh, he had connections and he got to uh, see a bit more information on the subject. Yeah. Uh, Steven Spielberg was invited to the White House to screen E.T. And um, the rumour is that he said to Stephen, um, you don't know how true this movie is. So, so yeah, uh, Steven Spielberg definitely had some connections to uh, Close Encounters of the First Kind, uh, of the Third Kind. Uh, he had Dr. Heinekel uh, from the Project Blue Book uh, advising on that movie about a secret program by secret government about an alien contact and an exchange of personnel. Everyone remembers the movie. So uh, Colonel Philip Corso, who worked on it, all the back engineering projects, he said that uh, the Pentagon had strong connections to Hollywood, that they wanted to get people ready for contact through science fiction. And he was saying back in the 50s that the Pentagon was bankrolling half of the B-grade black and white sci-fi movies. They wanted to, it, it helped both ways. If you made a movie about, you know, UFOs landing on uh, Washington DC or destroying them or whatever, and uh, close contact and that, it helps to discredit people who say they did see that, they did see a UFO and they did see occupants. They go, ah, oh, you saw that movie, you know. On the other hand, it gets people's psyche used to the fact that, oh, you see UFOs and aliens all the time in our culture, in our entertainment, and it gets you used to the idea. This is why we're having soft disclosure now and people aren't freaking out like Orson Welles in 1930. Uh, uh, you know, from uh, War of the Worlds. We've we've really got used to the idea. Um, X-Files. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We've really got used to the idea. And uh, the government of this particular branch of the propaganda, I guess, want us to get used to the idea if ever they have to come forward. And it looks like that day is here, that they are coming forward and we're not freaking out. So I guess their program has worked. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense when you're saying um, Hollywood's had a lot of influence from the government side of things there. Because, um, like, either people have got like, a really good imagination or they're getting a influence from somewhere to get the ideas. And especially with Steven Spielberg and his movies, it, it all makes sense with his connection. Yeah, um, well... He carries on with his sci-fi sci movies. They're, like, they're absolutely amazing. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Steven Spielberg is the... Um, uh, uh, I don't know if he's executive producer of uh, Transformers, uh, but Michael Bay yeah, is Michael the Bay director. Yeah. So, but again, through Steven Spielberg's connections, they had the full cooperation of the US Air Force and military and to film at White Sands, where no one gets to film. So 
are they trying to send us another subtle message through that movie uh, movies as well um yeah. that'd be kind of cool my car could be a transformer <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if there's things like transformers but it's a great vehicle to get the idea across that the government's working with friendly ets against bad ets and you know the government's keeping it all secret to protect us you know yeah um right up there is stargate with oh, yeah. um, with macgyver you know richard dean anderson if a great great series great writing and, and loved it all uh if you look at the very end it says with grateful cooperation from the u.s military u.s air force and space command so uh when i got to talk to um get to see richard dean anderson at comic-con he said they were all u.s air force personnel the soldiers in the um in the show they were real serving soldiers they weren't extras that's why they looked apart and not only that you had cameos of uh the well the four-star generals in charge of the air force about three of them had cameos in the show. They were their actual self playing their part of um, commanders of the Air Force, uh, you know, talking to uh, General Hammond and others. Now, just think about that. You've got three four-star Air Force generals appearing in a show about alien technology being kept secret from the public and a secret war going on. And our goal was to obtain alien technology to defend Earth with. Seems pretty coincidental. <laughs> coincidental or a really good conspiracy either way. <laughs> yeah, well, again, you can have it either way, you know. Are they, are they trying to say, oh, your encounters, you know, bull dust because I saw that on Stargate, you know. Yeah. I mean, Stargate. They were one of the first shows to introduce Area 51 as well. And the writers, when they introduced Area 51, they were told not to by the uh, US Air Force advisors to the I show. something about that, yeah. Yeah, and they said, no, uh, we have the right to put whatever we want in the show. And so they went ahead and, and the US Air Force were like, well, we might pull our cooperation from the show if you do it. And they said, well, so be it. But yeah, they were one of the first to uh, to get out there into the entertainment world. And um, oh, what was the other bit? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Damn. Uh, yeah, well, we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it sort yeah. of like brings down like uh, entertainment sort of things. It sort of reminds me of the uh, Marilyn Monroe and John F. Kennedy sort of aspect yeah. of things. Like you know that yeah. the story behind that of like going by presidential sort of things of how many are sort of from the U.S. anyway, but uh, bringing yeah. out their own disclosure or trying to hint to the public that yeah, you know, without yeah. saying it directly, they're actually hinting yeah a lot of things that are going on. And I know that. Um, well, I believe that one of the reasons why Kennedy got assassinated was because he was about to go and blurt out the absolute truth. So I don't know how yeah. much truth is behind that, but yeah, that's one of the yeah. reasons behind it. If um, people want to dive into that side of things, because uh, apparently um, Monroe was even yes uh, being told about it, and she was involved a little bit there, and they had to go and get rid of her to stop her from yes. blabbering. Yes. So the the thing that got uh, Marilyn Monroe killed was um, uh, JFK was told to back off. It was too public, the affair they were having. And um, she made the mistake because she was angry and she was um, blocked out of any contact. And uh, she felt rejected. And uh, she rang uh, Bobby Kennedy and uh, she said, I have kept a diary. And she said, I have kept the pillow talk. So she said, if you don't get, get JFK to talk to me again, it might find its way to the newspapers. Um, that, I don't know, um, but it, it's there, again, if you Google it, the sources of um, her ringing Bobby, Bobby and, and, and saying, I've, I've, I've got blackmail, more or less, material. And pretty soon thereafter, she was found dead. And uh, the first homicide detective on the scene said, this is a fake suicide scene. He said, everything's wrong. And uh, this isn't how it looks. He was replaced uh, as soon as he came to that conclusion. Within the first hour, he was replaced, and he had more experience than the guy that took over. But the second detective then went, "No, everything's fine." And there was a lot of um, lot of suspicious um, things happened with witnesses and the evidence and the autopsy and everything. Um, it just didn't make sense. But yeah, I, w I would believe it. You're talking about the highest secret in the world. And they're not frightened on killing people, even their own president. Uh, if you look at the documentary uh, JFK, The Smoking Gun, uh, it's a brilliant documentary uh, by a retired Australian detective. 
and from an outside view, he looks at all the forensic and ballistic evidence and he uh, has done a brilliant job in showing exactly uh, that it um, it came from the security. Oh, I don't want to wreck it. don't want to wreck it for anyone that watches it. <laughs> if you watch it, you'll see uh, it wasn't Oswald. Uh, Oswald was definitely the fall guy, uh, but you'll see from the ballistics angle and autopsy that it couldn't have been the official story. And um, so it was something pretty powerful to get rid of the most loved American president. And I know JFK was at war with the Pentagon. He was at war and he wanted to make it more accountable. And whether he was going to make that subject known, uh, if they weren't going to cooperate, I don't know. Um, but it was something big enough to, to get rid of a president. And to this day, people are still speculating, why did he get assassinated? Well, this would be one of the subjects why, definitely. And this leads us to today that Congress men and women are freely talking about this subject without fear. Ever since JFK, you wouldn't get any politician trying to push this, this subject. Uh, Jimmy Carter tried to he, before he became president. He said he will uh, release the truth on it. And then when he became president, he um, just dropped it and said, no, 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 it's fine. So I think every politician in America gets told, you know, look, keep your mouth shut. Otherwise, remember what happened to JFK, you know. Um, it's, it's that sort of intimidation that keeps this subject very, very uh, concealed and, and cut off from the public. Uh, but for some reason, They've got the green light for soft disclosure. And here we have Congress, open Congress hearings on UFOs with the Navy tomorrow. So it's just, wow. It's like Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly good times. And it's something that I sort of feel like Australia needs to get on this bandwagon because like Australia's had its own incredible sightings. Um, yes. And its yes. own share, fair, uh, fair share and cover-ups as well. Yeah, yeah. Like you look at yeah. Westall there in 66. Yes. Um, that yeah. was like one of Australia's biggest cover-up when it comes to this, yeah, this sort yeah. of genre. Um, you know, it, and it's, I'm surprised that like Australia hasn't followed America on this, or maybe they're just holding back a little bit, or they maybe they're influenced by America in its own way, saying don't talk too much. We'll do do all the work hard yards first, and then come down the track. Maybe I don't know. It's, oh, definitely, yeah. Australia being part of the five eyes of intelligence. Uh, we definitely will be um, taking instruction from America on the subject. Um, one brave senator did bring it up in uh, sen senator hearings. Uh, I think it was the beginning of the year or, or just um, before Christmas. Uh, he actually brought it up in, in Senate hearings uh, to the head of Australian RAF, uh, RAAF. And uh, he said, what's Australia doing on the subject? And uh, he acted deaf, dumb and blind, didn't know a damn thing. And he said, well, surely you've seen the news and you've seen the Fleur videos and everything. And he went, oh, no, I haven't even seen those. And it's like, seriously, you know, <laughs> seriously. So he was doing a great acting job of, oh, oh, I don't know what you're talking about, you know, because, yeah, uh, America wants to handle the subject. So uh, we'll just follow America's lead on that, uh, definitely. But you're right, uh, Westall, 1966. Uh, witnesses have come forward to say that um, there were RAF personnel there and uh, there are also American uh, Air Force personnel there as well. And um, 
just recently on Channel 7, Steve um, Goodhart or oh, what's his name? Oh, Ross Coulthard. Ross, Ross, sorry. Yeah, um, there was the latest uh, one of the science teacher who was there at West 66 and he, he came forward and he said he was uh, threatened uh, by uh, these two gentlemen and one was definitely military and uh, they were going to wreck his reputation if he spoke about it because I believe he was the one that took film of the object and they seized That's that. Right, yeah, and then he went quiet and he wouldn't talk about it uh, until his teaching career was over. So that's the sort of intimidation uh, they can have. But, yeah, Australia's had um, some really good uh, UFO um, uh, um, evidence and information. Um, some people might remember Mike Willisey, and uh, he had um, uh, Willisey on Channel 10, then Channel 9, I think. And uh, there's the 1978 uh, UFO encounter uh, in New Zealand uh, that was on his show. Uh, where they had uh, film from a cargo uh, plane. They were recreating a UFO encounter in 1978 of a cargo plane flying from Auckland to Wellington. So they were recreating it, and lo and behold, the, the UFOs turned up again. So they dropped the end cargo door and started filming, and um, they got some uh, really good footage of that. They sent it off to the Pentagon, and they didn't hear anything back. Um, so it's always... It's always been out there. They've always been trying to present the evidence. But if um, if our government say it doesn't exist, there's a lot of people that are like, well, I don't want to get laughed at. So you, you guys can be the fringe dwellers. I'll, I'll sit in mainstream here and, you know, have it nice and easy. But uh, I've, I've always been follow the evidence. That's science, you know. That's how we make all our scientific breakthroughs follow the evidence, no matter where it leads. The evidence is the evidence. So I've always I've always been that way to follow the truth, follow the evidence. Um, in my research, uh, I started off being an atheist, but being a scientist. Uh, scientific thinking, anyway, not a proper scientist. Yeah. <laughs> I like to think so. But no. uh, <laughs> and scientific method of studying the evidence. And uh, so UFOs, yes, I could see the evidence. Uh, witnesses, uh, all the documentaries and, and, you know, when you put it all together, there's enough evidence to, to break a table in half when you put it all together. And uh, it, it makes its case. But um, as, as I was researching and as I was looking at all this information, uh, it wasn't until I got older, not that much older, about the age of 22, um, I was realising that some of the close encounters and some of the um, contactees, they were describing information from certain uh, ETs in their abductions that they were talking about the soul. And at that stage, I was kind of like, hmm, what? You know, technology I can understand, you know, life in outer space, yes, you know, all the rest, but the soul, that was kind of foreign to me and kept it in the back of my mind and then certain things changed in life and then I thought well okay you use scientific method to look at the evidence from UFOs maybe I should do the same when it comes to do we have a soul and is there survival after death 
So I approached it the same way with an open mind. Let's see the evidence. Let's see what floats and what sinks. And lo and behold, I found the evidence and I found for myself that there was the evidence of life after death, that we do have a soul and therefore the ET contacts are correct, that yes, we do have a soul. And I'm so glad I went in that area because the whole alien UFO subject, you won't understand it properly unless you look at the dimension of our souls connected to this subject. So if you're just looking at the physical evidence and the physical things, you'll only get half the picture of what's happening in the UFO subject. And um, so, yeah, from there, uh, I decided to become a regressional hyp hypnotherapist, mainly out of just research, mainly out of curiosity. I just wanted to see if this thing worked because I uh, read some wonderful books on the subject and I thought, no, I've, I've just got to validate. I've just got to validate and test this for myself. So I went did all the classes and the first year practiced on all my friends. That's all pretty regression. <laughs> yep. So uh, they were all keen. And, yeah, lo and behold, it worked. When I mean it works, what I was first doing was uh, past life regressions. So now you talk about fringe, you know, now you talk about, oh, you're jumping out of mainstream here. Yeah. Um, and again, like Albert Einstein said, the paranormal is the source of all science and all knowledge because it's that unknown that we then test and reproduce and confirm and hypotheses and everything, and then it becomes science. So that's what science has to look at all the time, the unknown. And that's what you do. You research the unknown. So I wanted to see. I wanted to see if it was true. I wanted to see if it could work. And uh, it did on my friends. And I was successful in regressioning them to past lives. So that was an avenue that I started 24 years ago. And through that same vehicle, I was advertising that I was doing past life regressions and missing time. So that way, if anyone saw my ad, they would go, all right, I've had a missing time episode. Uh, I can contact him to see on missing time as well. And uh, I've regressed uh, probably about 12 people that have had um, abductions, missing time. And uh, I'd say I've regressed probably six other people that have had connections through ETs they didn't even know they had through just going for past life regressions. So that's where it kind of, the two are the one subject. And um, even with past life regressions, some people, if you, if you know how to research it properly with that client and uh, do it correctly, you'll find out that they've had a past life on an alien world before they've come to this world. Oh, wow. Okay. 
And that's when I go, wow, okay, the whole subject is one subject now. And uh, I know a few people out there will be like, oh, man, I was just into UFOs and ETs and now you're dropping this bomb on me. (laughs) Welcome to the paranormal. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's always been a connection. Well, there's always been research connection that there is a something going on in the world connection wise between the paranormal and the UFO yeah. world. Yeah. Um, what that is, we haven't really worked it out. Yeah. But we know there's like a, a some sort of spiritual connection or, you know, something, some sort of vibration in the human body that seems to be able to connect to these beings or, you know, yeah. dimensional beings for all we know. Um, yeah. Like you, you, like we're talking like, um, you know, back in the Egyptian times and all sort of stuff there, they used to do the, like the priests doing their meditations and, you know, they're claiming to have connections with, you know, people from beyond other worlds or something like, like, yeah. Um, it, it just goes on and on. And it, in history has showed that there has been some sort of connection there with, you know, people trying to connect to the, the afterlife or, you know, yeah. whatever's been happening outside the universe or something. There's well, something there. Uh, in modern times, uh, you've got the um, <laughs> just trying to think of the code names for them. Uh, there was one that might have been the Stargate uh, program. Now, that's a real Pentagon program. Uh, the other one might have been. Um, I'll think of them. I'll think of them. Uh, not Fast Walker, but anyway, they were remote viewing programs run by the CIA. That's right. Yeah, I remember hearing something about this. Yep. Yes. So they wanted to look into if the paranormal could work, and they found it could work. They found you could do these out-of-body experiences, and this energy within the body could travel to that spy location where you want to see what they were constructing 100 metres under the ground, and these people could see it. These people could record it. Now, you're talking about the best spy surveillance in the world that can float through 100 metres of solid granite while they're sitting in Washington all the way to Russia. And they could do it. And uh, they said they closed it down, but we all know that's a word for it's still ongoing. Yeah. But if the CIA and, and the Pentagon can take that aspect seriously and put money behind it for remote viewing and other things like this, then it means there is some science behind that and how... Pathoff, uh, that other scientist uh, connected with TTSA, uh, he did experiments on people with abilities and he could measure this scientifically with instruments that they had effects on electronic equipment while just sitting in the room and not touching them. That's incredible. So he's that's why he was connected to... Um, uh, Robert Bigelow, and they were connected to uh, special access programs on researching UFO material. So they're all kind of linked and connected there. But yeah, um, again, it's just science. Let's let's find if these things work. Let's find if we can validate them or verify them or measure them. And uh, that's what we're doing. So yeah, ET is aware that there is a thing called a soul and they are aware that uh, there is life after death and certain ETs are very spiritual 
and certain ETs are not. And in a nutshell, uh, we have blonde Nordic ETs that look very human and they are very spiritual and they talk about more spiritual matters when they have contact with people. Whereas the grey ETs with contact, they're very focused on our biology and our DNA. They are aware of the soul and other things, but that's their number one game. The reason they're so interested in our DNA is because our human DNA manifests, allows our soul to express emotion. Their physiology does not. So their souls aren't progressing as much as humans are on this world. So we're very emotional. They're very logical with no emotions, you know, yeah. pretty much like Spock out of E.T. Uh, Star Trek, sorry. <laughs> 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 yeah, some people are going to go and slap you over that one, I think. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of contactees out there will tell you about the fear they feel when they're abducted by a grey. Um, they project that fear to us to paralyze us because they fear us because we are so unpredictable. We have a range of emotions that are outside logical behavior. So to a grey, they know logically they will do one, two or three, A, B or C. You put a human in that condition, they can do anything. They'll do things that will harm themselves and harm others for no reason. Yeah. So the greys really don't know how to handle us. So majority of the time we're put into a state of fear or paralysis. Yeah. But they're very interested in reproduction. They're very interested in our hormone systems. And they're very interested in um, emotions. And you're asking before about the connection of why the government, if they're in agreement with ET, what's what's the exchange and everything like this? Well, the ETs, the greys in particular, uh, all they've got to say to the military is, we'll let you have a craft and you can have a look at it. And they're like, hell yeah. What do you need in return? And the greys simply want to study human biology and they want to abduct people. And the US government just goes, hell yeah, take them. That's fine. We've got plenty, you know. Yeah. Give us this Give us this super high-tech gear that's 10,000 years in advance of what the Russians have got. So that's more or less the agreement. And the Greys want to keep it secret. The US government wants to keep it secret. They don't want to say this deal is going on. The greys try and do it at night. They try and uh, when they do abductions and take uh, DNA samples and study people and everything like this, they will try and mask the event with a false memory or missing time. You'll either have missing time where they take the whole memory out. It's still there at a deep cycle, um, subconscious level, which you can access through regression. But on a conscious level, it's masked, it's sealed up, uh, but it leaks, it leaks through dreams. 
uh, you'll have the same reoccurring dream of a table. You'll have the same reoccurring dream of a, a light above that table and these skinny grey hands touching you and doing these things. That, that'll leak through. That's your subconscious mind saying, hey, I've got something here. I don't know what it is, but you need to have a look at this. And there's some strong emotions connected to it uh, with the missing time. Uh, the other way they cover it up is with a false memory. So you, an abductee, might think they saw an owl in the tree and that they might have some weird event and a flash of light and everything like this and they'll think all they saw was an owl. And again, it's a false memory implanted there and again, through regression, you can find out that was just a little fake movie they put for your mind to, to have some recall of an event. And under regression, you can find the actual memory, the actual record. And um, in one particular case, I regressed a gentleman uh, from Smithfield in Victoria on the outskirts of Melbourne. And he was, geez, I think he was only like seven or eight. And he was with his sister and two cousins. So the four of them, they were on their farm. It was about 1 p.m. They were walking down into the paddocks and uh, they went into um, over a hill and into one paddock and they saw this big silver UFO flying saucer sitting there in the paddock on the grass. And he said there was a flash of light and the next thing it was dark. They were all scared. The sun had gone, all the light had gone, it was dark. And they thought, what? And they went running home and it was like 6 p.m. And they were told to be home by 5 back in the day. You know, be home for dinner, make sure, you know. Yep. Got to be home before the sun goes down. And they got in trouble. You know, the parents were like, where the hell were you? We, we thought you were, you know, something terrible had happened. And they said, we don't know what happened. And the parents were like, no, you're lying. You know, you just don't want to get in trouble, but you're grounded now and you're in trouble and everything like this. Yeah. That was his first memory of it. And it always bothered him. You always knew there was something more to it. So that's when he came to me and he said, you know, I want to get to the bottom of it. I want to find out what happened. So uh, we did a regression and that was his first memory of it. And there's a process in hypnosis where you play the same movie again except you do it slower, so there's more detail. And when the mind has to find that detail, it'll find more of the record. And you're kind of scraping away that um, missing time uh, implant sort of, of memory. So you replay it again. And then he said, oh, I, yeah, uh, we hear a voice in our head saying, don't be afraid. And then we sit on the grass and a door opened on the craft and we were picked up in the air basically by a force and carried in to the object. And then it all went dark again. So we replayed the same memory again. And this time we got more information that they went inside. There was uh, what he thought were doctors because they were in white coats, but he couldn't see their faces for whatever reason, he only saw lights when he looked at their faces. 
but he was in a large area with other children that were playing. And the, he said there was this um, mental um, emotion of having fun and playing. He wasn't afraid. It was filtered to him to have fun and play. And he was playing with these other kids that had blonde hair and blue eyes, but he said a pronounced sort of forehead. He said they didn't look human quite. He said but he got this telepathy message to just play and have fun. So him and his sister and his two cousins were playing with these kids to kind of teach them what playing was and what fun was. And one by one, him and his sister and the cousins, they one by one they were taken out of the room while the rest were playing. And the doctor, the one in the white coat, was saying, oh, you're very special, which is a common thing. You're very special. We've got something very special for you. We just have to have this medical procedure. And he had to get on a table. And he said there was an orange light that uh, came down and could see through the body on all the different aspects of the body. It came up on a screen, bones, muscle, organs, everything. And then there were, um, and again, he's still having this feeling of it's fun, I'm happy. He said that he also had a feeling of what is happening here. And then he also had a feel of fear and dread. And he said he'd float between all those three emotions um, while everything was happening. They um, did a procedure uh, up through the nose, which is very common. Uh, into the uh, front of the brain. And uh, they said they were implanting an object in there uh, to make a connection in his brain to make it easier for them to connect with his brain. And um, again, he was very special and wow. And But he said, you know, one, one second he'd have absolute fear that this operation was going on. Next minute he's happy and no worries at all. And next minute he's like, what's happening here? So uh, after that, he was led back with the kids and he was playing with the kids again. And then they were put outside and it was dark by the time they were put on the grass. And then the uh, UFO took off and disappeared. And that's when they could go home. So uh, he, after the session, he called his sister uh, and he said, do you remember uh what happened uh do you remember us going down that back paddock and you know we saw something and then there was a flash of light and there was night time and she said yeah yeah i remember getting in trouble because she said uh i'd never got in trouble and i got in trouble that night you know so she she remembered it uh very much and uh so he said well i've got a few details more to talk to you about it uh you're asking before about false memory and about what's real and what isn't. Uh, yeah, to... I did. Um, before I touch yeah. on that, but this isn't the first time I've actually heard of someone being abducted and being put into a playground scenario. Oh, right. Okay. Um, I've only I've recently just uh, interviewed a lady there. She um, had the exact same sort of thing, but it was a different species of ET. Yeah. Um, from memory, it wasn't the Pladeons or anything like that. Um, Nordics, sorry, uh, it wasn't the Nordics yeah. or anything like that. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, same sort of scenario. Like they're yeah. thrown in with a, in a room with a bunch of kids and gone got told to go and play on a playground. Yes. Um, yes. Which is really intriguing in that sense of like what obviously like to try and teach other kids to play or something or they're just trying to observe yeah. us playing. It's it's yeah interesting. He, when when he was in this play area, this this round central area inside the craft, he said uh, there were black uh, windows. Uh, oblong sort of windows around the walls of the play area. And he got the feeling that there were people behind there watching them, adults watching them play. And um, he didn't think they were human and he didn't think the kids he were playing were human and he didn't think the doctor was human either. So to me, I would say it weighs more toward the greys because they're the ones trying to develop a hybrid program of our DNA and their DNA. They want to keep the best of their abilities and they want the best of the human abilities as well, as in emotions. Yeah, the attributes. Yeah. Um, that's their number one goal because their, their brain is supercomputer and super powerful. They have telepathy. And um, they can um, definitely paralyze people by just looking at them. They say that stare of those big eyes just paralyzes their body through that mental power. Uh, yeah, they, they like that. They, they are connected to very much like the Borg, having that one communication yep. between all of them. Uh, the greys are very much like a hive mentality that they, they need that connection. And so they want to keep that ability, but they want to incorporate the human ability of emotions. And they're having a hard time trying to get the two to match. And um, they, to a certain extent, they're doing a catch-up that they did have it a long time ago, but through um, their science, they cut emotions out of their DNA because they basically, from what I was told, they destroyed their planet through war. And it was mainly power and greed and emotions. And they decided if it can destroy their whole way of life, then it's not a good thing. And they should focus on science and getting everything working off their planet, their ecosystem, their society, their health and everything with less emotions. They can do that. Uh, very logically, but it just watered it down too much that they they lost the majority of their emotions. Yes, they became very peaceful and very successful, but that wasn't the purpose of life. That wasn't the purpose of their soul. Their soul soul's purpose is to experience emotions and to experience all the things we do, and to grow and become a better person through through those lessons, and they basically cut themselves off of that. They were just in, in a dead-end street. So we, we're the primitive backwaters. Uh, we're the primitive tribal people that, yeah, um, we're, we're, we're a young species uh, and we're not that advanced, but we're very unique. Apparently, we're one of the most emotional species out there. And uh, Earth is kind of a curiosity for other ET races 
uh, to come and have a look at these weird type of people, you know, that can do totally illogical things to themselves and to other people, you know. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah you've got to check out this circus. It's, it's unbelievable. But the greys are going one step forward and saying, well, they've got something very important that we could use and we'll pretend we're your friend and we want to give you high tech and help you at the same time. But they will, they know full well that they're not going to give us the means of actually making the high tech. We can, we can play with it. We can maybe come up with some ideas of how to back engineer some things, but not, not the powerful stuff. Yeah. So according to Colonel Philip Corso, uh, we managed to back engineer uh, night vision goggles from um, Roswell, uh, Kevlar, um, lasers, and um, fiber optics, and the silicon chip. So that's that's according to him some of the things we could back engineer. Uh, and you, when you see how much progression we made after World War Two in our technology, just just in the space of 70 years, how far we've come. It really is a really fast track of technology and evolution. Um, to a, another certain extent, um, it is interfering in our society, of our natural progression, but uh, it does help us become a bit more advanced to understand and accept the whole concept of alien contact yeah no, so that's fair enough yeah um, i want to yeah. go and touch on um quickly like we've come towards the end of the show like we've punched well out sure. of time now so <laughs> we've nearly gone for two hours here but like we could cool. keep going all night just about on this <laughs> it's um it's absolutely amazing this whole topic um the thing i was going to say is like um when you mentioned earlier with the the agreement between technology and um given permission to go and start abducting people around the world yeah um surely that mustn't have been just the american government itself so it would have to have been governments across the world because like basically who died and made them king of the world to go and give permission to go and start abducting people to experiment on like like that's sure. that's um that's one of the things that really annoy me about when it comes to abductions yeah um but it also scares me too like because of the fact that we don't we can't predict we don't know or when or yeah when it's going to happen basically but yeah. the other part is like who gave them permission to go and abduct you and you know in the first place like you know it's quite rude <laughs> but yeah. it is it is uh well think about this um the first atomic bomb was set off on white sands missile range at the trinity test site 1945 that showed to et that America was the most advanced country at that stage. Uh, by accident, they downed uh, one of their craft. Well, two, if you go by certain reports. And the Grace or the ETs at that stage had a, a decision to make. They could easily have sent in a, uh, other ships to retrieve the, the crash and retrieve their occupants, but they didn't. They thought about it and they decided to leave the crash um, uh, craft there to be recovered. 
it's the best way to find out who the leader was of the country and who the top minds were of the country and to make contact with those people who were going to work on the wreckage. And once you had those particular people to contact, the ones in power in this human world, then you could say, all right, um, that's our property or we want these certain things back or let's have an agreement. You can get that wreckage if you do this for us. They weren't including this world. They were just talking to the most powerful people in the world at that time. Yep. And that was the Roswell Army Air Force 509th Atomic Group based at Roswell. They were the only people to have an atomic bomb in 1947. That was them. So the the most powerful people would be associated with that in the world, and they did, and that was the basis of MJ-12. Yeah. The best minds, the best military on the subject. So the ET were just like, well, you must be the, the leaders of this world, you know, and that's what we're doing. Now, the ETs didn't sign a deal with Australia for, to have wreckage and to abduct, abduct Australians or Russians or Chinese or English or Africans or anything like that. They just made the deal with America that they would um, share that technology with them in exchange for abductions. Now, did the Americans say you can only abduct Americans or you can abduct anyone from around the world? This is why they're still covering it up. If this got out in public that the Americans said, you can abduct anyone from around the world, then they are party to a crime of forced abductions on citizens around this world. Yeah. Knowing, yeah. knowing full well. Now, would ET have abducted people anyway? Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing we can do to stop them. Their technology is supreme. So would they have done it anyway? Yes. The Americans just agreed to it and said, we'll cover up the subject and we'll keep ridiculing the subject so you can keep doing what you're doing, even with the cattle mutilations. They still actively covering that up, that subject up. They don't like that subject getting out. Yeah. And that's mainly, where is it happening? Mainly in America. You know, a lot of people say, oh, why does America have all the best sightings and reductions and cattle mutilations? This is why. Because this deal was done with America, the government at that stage. Has it expanded? Yeah, there's been cattle mutilations in Australia. Yeah. Uh, there's been plenty of abductions in Australia. So... You pick a country and they're all having the same thing, uh, but it just seems more so in America or more reported in America. Yeah. Uh, the, the world sort of relies a lot on America on that basis. Yeah. Information, which is a yeah, shame, really. It is. It is. And uh, back in 2013, Stephen Greer had the citizens' hearing on UFOs with retired congressmen and women. And he presented for three days all the evidence on UFOs from high-ranking military people and scientific-based uh, people. And at the end of that, the conclusion by that congressman, which I can't recall at the moment, uh, he said, this is a real subject, it's a valid subject. He said, we need to have public hearings on this by Congress. He said, but I fear it won't happen in America. 
he said from the amount of pushback and ridicule and you know debunking I see from my own government, he said you might have better chance in another country holding a citizens, citizens hearing on UFOs rather than America because they're so close to the subject, because they're covering it up so much. And that was the conclusion that he had back in uh, 2013. Yet, lo and behold, in a couple of hours, we're going to have the first public hearing at Congress. Yeah. Something changed. Something yeah. changed. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's amazing. It's a, it's a good time. But um, so before we quickly end the show there, um, sure. oh, I want to touch on this, uh, the regressed memory sort of thing, that's yes. the repressed memory that's going on out. Yes. So yes. people who would have um, heard about the repressed memories there and you're obviously yeah. going through the process... Yeah, there's been stories or accounts where uh, hypnotherapists are implanting ideas or stories yeah. false onto memories. the false memories, even yeah, yeah, into their experience there. So, what yes. what is your thoughts on that sort of things? Is can this yeah. happen or? Well, um, like any process, uh, you have to have a mythology and a, a method to it, and uh, you have to stick to. Uh, those methods and training to to make it work correctly. Okay, so it's the same with interviewing. It's the same with any sort of communication with with humans, uh, with people. So um, basically, if I was to um, lead the witness in court, okay, that's not allowed. If I lead a witness or if I give too much information, that's immaterial. Okay, what you want from the witness is just their account or just whatever they saw or heard. Okay, and it's the same with hypnosis as well. Don't lead the client. Don't put your own views on what the question is or what they saw because then you're loading the question, you're loading information in when all you want is just the raw information, okay? So uh, a good example, and, and maybe they were doing this by accident with the false memories, because I know it had to do with uh, sexual assaults of children. Um, if they were bad at hypnotherapy and they were leading the witness, instead of saying under hypnosis, what did you see in the room? Okay, that leaves it open. You can describe whatever. All you know is you're in the room. That's all I led with. What do you see in the room? Okay. But in some of these false memories, they were saying, when you saw your father in the room, what was he doing? Now, you see, I've just planted that information that the father was in the room there. Now, the child goes, well, I want to comply with you because you're an adult and you're in authority. So if you say my father was in the room, then I'd better make sure he was in the room. So I say, yeah, he's in the room. All right, what's he doing now? And maybe my subconscious might pull up a, a different memory or it might try and run with your suggestion. See, hypnosis can be a suggestion as well, and that's what you don't want to be. You don't want to be a stage act with a client leading them into a stage act to behave a certain way and do a certain thing because then you're programming that person instead of regressing and finding the information you're loading all your information into the person and in that 
hypnotic state, they're going to confabulate, they're going to put that together into a movie or scenario to make it work for you. So the stage acts, they say, you know, I'm handing you an apple when really it's an onion. <laughs> Take a bite. They're leading that person to believe a certain thing that isn't true. Okay. Whereas when you do a regression, you don't want to lead them. You want to, just like watching a movie, you want them to play that movie exactly how they saw it. So you don't lead in information. You don't even try and figure out if it's day, night, hot, cold, anything like that. You let their memory tell you what is on that movie. And someone that is not very good at regression will lead them and place those memories in place. So it's it's just like a, a, a movie. You can play the movie that's there or you can record over the top of it with your own movie. And with these false memories that ET does of abductions, that's what they've done. They've then recorded a new movie over your existing memory to try and cover your existing memory. So they're putting a false memory on top of a real event, just the same as a bad person at regression is putting a false memory over an existing real event. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I'm sure it's probably happened a lot of times there and, yes. you know, a lot of sightings or experiences there aren't overly accurate. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, this is a shame. Um, but it obviously, is. these things do happen, and it's obviously um, an experience kind of thing for all the uh, hypnotherapists there to make sure that these things don't happen. But yeah, um, yeah. it's obviously human nature there to go and make mistakes, and you obviously you can't can't change that. Um, but yeah, look, we um, we are really punched for time now. So, but I do have one oh. quick question there. I'm sorry, I can't get sure. to everyone's questions here because there was a few through here. Oh, but, um, talking through um, when we we're talking about the. Uh, government uh, approval for abducting stuff like that. I'm sure yes. you would have um, be familiar with what's been called like I call it a blood contract or you know a um, ancestral contract maybe like where someone's bloodline family line somewhere in the past where uh, like may have made an agreement to go and use their bloodline as a oh right an yeah, experiment yeah, yeah. for the future generations yes. um, so uh, someone's asked like is there a way that it can Break this contract. Um, have you got anything on that at all? Cool. Um, I do know that uh, ET has been interested in certain bloodlines uh, because of the ability of the DNA, whether they've got more telepathic um, ability in their DNA or there's some sort of DNA that they're very interested in, as in ET might have a choice of 100 people and they'll only pick out three that they really want to get samples from. Yep. So obviously they're scanning for something and they're looking for something in particular. Uh, in saying that, there's millions of abductions all the time. Uh, so it's quite an active program. Um, when it has uh, followed people and, you know, look, I, I have nothing but sympathy for people that are abductees against their will. Uh, it's a shame that ET doesn't understand this. This hurts people against their will. And, um, yeah, uh, all I can say is from my information there is some sort of agreement before you're born into this life at a soul level that you've agreed to help or to participate in this 
program yep. or what is happening. And on a soul level, you've put your hand up to say, yeah, I'll help. Now, when we're born, when we become human, we don't remember any of these agreements that we made when we're in spirit. Yeah. And we've only got our own mental personality to say, I don't like this. This is not good. Um, all I can say to those people is, you know, um, when you can meditate, when you can pray on it, maybe try and get in contact with your soul guide and maybe say to your soul guide, look, you know, can you intervene? Can you turn this down? Can you help in some way to change what's happening? Um, because spirit is aware of what's happening as well. Um, but unfortunately, you know, people say, aren't you afraid of ghosts or anything? And I go, well, ghosts can't, can't hold a knife or, you know, do anything a human can do. And this is the thing, when, when you're in the flesh, you can do anything you want, you know. Um, it's, it's a tough situation, and... I, I have nothing but sympathy for him. So, yeah, I wish there was a, a, a way to get out of it. I really do. Um, that's about all I can think of. Other than that, there is, uh, from my research, it's um, a way to um, kind of stop um, a successful abduction is um, uh, not, it's kind of like, you're breaking their their telepathy by putting on very loud and very aggressive music, uh, like heavy metal, yep. that seems to um, occupy our brain and stimulates it in a way that ET finds it hard to get a lock and paralyze you, yep. uh, not to make eye contact with them. And um, uh, sometimes ET wants us um, alert and coherent. So if I'm not, I'm not suggesting anything, I'm just saying if you're not alert and coherent through other recreational things, who knows? I don't know if that helps or not. Yeah. Well, I'll probably explain why I haven't been abducted due to my music genre of choice. Yeah. <laughs> so, there you go. So you said heavy metal for you. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, look, mate, um, unfortunately, we can't get through all of the uh, the questions there because um, yeah. yeah, we've gone well over the usual time that I try to do. But it might absolutely amazing. Like, with, obviously, there's a whole branch we can just keep going through on this. Oh, yeah. So we'd love to get you back on the show at some point there sure. if you're willing. Yep, um, I look forward to answering the questions next time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or if you can, if you want, um, come through um, on the page there and just answer them for yourself if you want. Um, sure. Get in touch yeah. with those people there that I've missed. But, mate, thanks again for coming on the show. Absolutely. Uh, fabulous having you on here mate it's been a great chat and um it's yeah going through the whole uh world of things that happen in this world and what's to come there so i'm looking forward to this new um uh report that's going to be coming out in a few hours so bring for it sure. on. so no, yeah. i had a good time it's been a great pleasure thank you for having me no worries mate thank you again mate i'll talk to you soon will do cheers mate see ya and that will do it folks for this episode of encounters down under I hope you enjoyed the show, and remember, you can also get involved in the show by joining the Facebook page and getting in on the live streams. Also, please be sure to share with your friends and family to help us grow, and potentially find our next guest on the show. 
If you or you know someone who has had an encounter, please get in touch with me through our Facebook page via Messenger or email at australianufosightings at outlook.com.au. I look forward to seeing you on the next encounter down under. Hooroo! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.